Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier. Excited to be back with the latest episode and latest interview. Uh, I always like, I, I say this often, but I like bringing on new guests, but I also like bringing on uh, guests who visit us before. And so this is one of those cases. And we've, I think, if I go by memory, I think we've had her on our show, but we've also had her on Facebook Live at least one, maybe two. So really excited to bring her on and actually talk about something we haven't talked about before in this way, and it's really, I think, her specialty area. So really excited about this. So Galit Ventura-Rosen, really excited to have you on today. And I think where I'd like to start is, first of all, I think it's probably good to have some context. So maybe I'll get you to tell us just a, a little version or a little bit of your background. Absolutely. So I've been an entrepreneur for over 25 years. I like to tell people since I've been 12. <laughs> and I entered into a field that was largely male. I started right out of college when most people get a job. I decided I didn't want to work for anybody. I got my real estate license, opened up my own company. And then I entered into commercial real estate, which is very rare. And at the time I was 22 years old. And most of the field was male, about 90, 95%, and especially those that own their own businesses. And the average age was 40. So I absolutely have had a lot of experience in my career with male-dominated industries. And then a few years ago, I decided to switch gears. Even though I still run my commercial real estate company, it's my baby, I decided to go into women empowerment, women business mentor, women speakers, and start developing and uplifting women. So it's been a nice little combination. So now as a professional speaker, the author of The Successful Woman's Mindset and a coach, it's given me an opportunity to do a little bit of that. Love it. And so Galit, where I wanted to start, first of all, right away, when you talk about successful female entrepreneurs, first thing I always think about, and I, we don't hear this enough, but what do you think it is that sets female and male entrepreneurs apart? Like, can, have you noticed, and I'm sure you have, especially writing the book on it, but what are the things that maybe are done differently by female entrepreneurs versus male entrepreneurs or that sort of sets them apart? Are there some kind of common traits that you've noticed? Well, you know that there's never across the board, but I like to share what I've experienced talking to a few hundred women in just the last few years that are entrepreneurs or strive to be. So this is not... You're not going to find this data online. I always share that because of my background in contracts and real estate. But what I've learned from my experience in interviewing so many women and speaking to so many women is that as women, we have different characteristics than men. And it is. I mean, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. We talk about it all the time. So women, in a sense, are naturally multitaskers. We multitask. We're multi-talented. And that's not to say that men are not, but we're going to talk about women today. And women really are good at being the nurturers as well as the organizers. So I don't want you to think that every woman is heart-centered, but a lot of women think with their heart and then their mind, as well as they have learned many in entrepreneurs to blend the two. So as someone that worked in for years and years having my own business that is really about the numbers and working with businessmen. So it wasn't just being closing deals with agents that were men. It's also 95% of my clients were men is it was really about the structure and the numbers for them. So I had to find that balance. Wait, this is working because of this, but maybe it's not working because of that. So some of the characteristics I can share is we're multifaceted, multi-talented, multitaskers, we're very good at handling 
life work balance as long as we allow ourselves. Many women are moms, uh, daughters taking care of elderly parents, uh, significant others, wives, whatever, it doesn't matter. And we learn, hopefully, hopefully we learn, big, big part of my book, okay? Hope, I have a whole chapter just about that. When you get home, leave work at work. When you get home, focus on home. So women are usually really good at being able to do that. So those are a few of the things that I've learned about that are a little bit different between male and female entrepreneurs. So follow up to that, I guess, and you kind of maybe alluded to it as well, is where do you see that women struggle within that then? Being, you know, taking those traits into account, where is that balance between doing it well and it working for them and then maybe struggling with those same traits? I don't think women are good at asking for help, okay? And I'm sharing some of my own personality traits that I have to grow out of with, with age. We're not good at asking for help. We believe we are super women, which by the way, I believe a lot of us are, but we don't always recognize the value in asking for help. So as an entrepreneur, one of the things I'm really big at teaching my business clients is you've got to learn your value of your hour. Corey, one of the things I do is I say, let's sit down and figure out how much you make an hour. All right, now, an assistant, let's say a really good assistant is $25, $30 an hour. So you're telling me you're going to go do this when you can make $500 an hour, but you can pay someone $25 or $30 an hour. So you've got to sit back and get out of that solopreneur head. You've got to get into an entrepreneur head. And an entrepreneur head builds a team, builds a business. And women sometimes, trust me, Corey, I'm one of those women. I know that there are things I can do better than an assistant, obviously. But I've got to know the value of my time. And asking her to do something for me or him, it doesn't matter, is more valuable to what I can accomplish towards my goals or my clients or my time. So absolutely delegating and absolutely knowing the value of your time. And so when you talk to women about the value of their time, and this really speaks to me on two fronts, one on the, the side of my time related to business, but I always think back to this, um, well, years ago, one of the, a career I had for a lot of years, actually, which surprises people given my age, but I spent 10 years selling photocopiers door to door. And okay. I remember this one guy and everybody thought he was, you know, egotistical and that, and there were, I mean, I will say he had a strong personality and there were elements of it that were, you know, he wasn't, I don't think he was saying it for the right reasons, but it woke me up to it is that he'd walk in and somebody would say, and I won't say his name, let's say it was Jim. It wasn't Jim, but let's say it was Jim. Um, you know, can you, can you help me with something? Or I want to pick your brain on something or I need some advice or what have you, almost like a mentor role. And he'd say, do you know how much my time is worth? My time's worth $400 an hour. And what he <laughs> to figure that out is how many copiers he sold, what they were worth, and then worked it back towards how many hours he worked in a week. Okay. This magical number of four or $500 an hour. And I think there's probably a, a balance in between. Like he was so aggressive with it. It was just like he was almost like, you're not worth me talking to because you're not worth that. But, but what, I, what stuck out to me is that I had never figured out what I was selling and what it was worth per hour. And so how I use this in my career later on, and it was hard to do because everybody knew I was, we talked with this, you and I in the past, heart-centered. So everybody knew I was friendly, social, loved hanging out with people. But when I was in business, I knew that because of that same trait, I could give away my own time. And so what I used to do is I, we had cubicles. So you knew that it was easy for people to interrupt you. So I wrote this thing and printed it out. And it said, you know, 
not to be blunt, but my time is worth X amount an hour. Um, is the task that I'm doing right now really worth this amount per hour? And what I found it did is people were like, they knew I was friendly, we'd hang out after hours, all that stuff. But they, and they told me later on that that was kind of their, the mindset that told them, well, I better not interrupt him because this conversation I'm just going to have with him about playing Nintendo isn't worth whatever amount per hour. So, but my, my, that was a long way to explain my reason I'm asking this question. But my reason for the question is, do you find, because I had a hard time with it is what I'm getting at. And my other coworkers couldn't understand that. Like, they're like, no, I don't think I'm worth that. I'm getting paid, you know, my salary, if they get a base salary. That's what I'm worth per hour, not what I'm selling. They couldn't get their head around. No, you're worth more than that because this is what you've sold in the year. So that's how much you're worth. Even if you took their commission, that would still be worth more than the hourly. And so they struggled with it, though, because I think it was a self-worth thing that came into it. They couldn't correlate themselves being worth that much per hour because they thought only CEOs are worth that much per hour. And so my question again out of all that is, do, do you find a struggle with that? Like, do you find a lot of or some of your clients – are like, well, I'm not worth that much or like maybe a self, self-worth part of it. Is there anything that comes into that? Absolutely. So I want to split that up into two parts because I feel like it was two things. First of all, I'm not sitting here and telling you that you can't speak to people for fun and you can't go to coffee and you can't have balance in your life. I'm not telling you that every person you meet for coffee, you need to charge. Right. You're going to know the balance of that. Okay. I go out to a lot of coffees with women that just want to get to know me and we talk, but they're not asking me for free advice. They understand the words. And if that comes up, because there'll always be people that want things for free, you just politely say, I'm so sorry, but those are things I keep for my clients. And as Corey and I are naturally, we always give some kind of direction because we want to give people direction. And not everyone's going to be able to work with us. We only have so many hours in the day. So that's the first piece. The second piece regarding your value is I need you to know that I've actually had clients walk around the house. So I work, I also work with professional speakers and they make that leap from promotional to professional. And what I do is I just teach them how to look professional and how to do the pitch, how to find the speaking gigs. And they'll say, you want me to charge how much? I go, nope, stop. How much do you think you're worth? And they will tell me, I say, start there. Because if you don't feel like you're worth five grand or more, you're not going to get it. But then as they're up leveling, and I also do this with my business coaching clients too, Corey, I'll say, walk around the house and say, pretend like someone asks you, how much do you charge? I charge and say your amount. I charge and say it over and over and hear it. And then have your friends ask you and then have your business partner ask you. And you got to keep hearing it. It's normal to question and self-doubt because money is a really funny thing. We don't think of it enough as just an energy. We think of it as this thing that has so much power and it really, really does. And it's just a number. I remember last year, two years ago, I charged a client $2,500 a month. And one of my mentors is like, wait, two weeks ago, you were struggling with $997 a month and you charge them. I'm like, oh yeah, when we were talking, I was in the zone and I heard what she needed from me and I knew my value and how much time she wanted this much time a month. I, and so she was, my mentor was in shock. She's like, you were struggling with this a few weeks ago. I'm like, yep. Yeah. So go with your gut and don't doubt, don't doubt your value because when you doubt it, that person can tell they won't pay you because they can feel the doubt in you. So <clears throat> such a great point. 
I'll, I'll mention that I don't do, and I think you and I've chatted about this before, but this really ties into what you're saying here because I just had this experience and I think it's a good lesson for people as well. And it validates what you're just saying as well too. But uh, I don't do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching on the speaking side. I mean, I, I have programs and you and I chatted about this as well before where I support the program and stuff like that, but I don't do a lot of hourly coaching. But you know, in certain circumstances uh, that where maybe I know that I can support this person who supported me in the past or different things like that, then I'll, I'll make it work on a coaching. And so I make exceptions. And so why I bring this up is because I was coaching somebody really recently about this, this whole worth idea. And it wasn't originally about that, but what they were telling me is they reached out to me. We did an interview one time a year before and after the interview went off. So I thought based on their brand, so I'll never say who they are, but their brand looks like they're an eight to $10,000 speaker. And, and when I say this for people that don't speak, I'm talking about, let's say they do a keynote. I'm saying normally I would think they'd be charging eight to 10,000. If I was hiring them, that's what I would be thinking I'd be paying them based on this great brand they have. I mean, they've spoken at your, all your big tech companies. They've spoken on a TEDx stage. After the camera went off, he said to me, can you help me out? He said, because I see that you're speaking and charging all the time, et cetera, et cetera. I've never charged for a talk. How do I do that? And he'd already been speaking for like five years. And wow. what he's doing is grow, he, he's speaking to grow his retreats and workshop and stuff like that. But he's speaking at events where they're paying other speakers and not him. And so we got talking about it. He told me his biggest fee ever was $1,000. And the client that was running the event, actually, the event, went, the event went under before it happened. So he didn't even get paid that one. And so we got talking through it. And I gave him strategy. I gave him, <clears throat> here's, how I, here's how I built the momentum of my bookings and all these kind of things. One of the things I said to him, is based on what he's trying to achieve because we talked about him getting a, an assistant uh, now when i say assistant i should I'll correct that a speaker's assistant slash telemarketer somebody reaching out for him and we also talked about speakers bureaus and i said here's the thing you need to know because i don't think i've ever told you this you are now i'm saying you are based on everything i see so if i was a meeting planner what i just told you you're at least a five thousand dollar speaker charging zero and anyway, we talked through this and really at the end of the day, it came back to this whole idea of I've never been paid more than a couple hundred dollars. Wow. You really think I'm worth 5,000. So the two tied together, what you just said, Glee, is that he doesn't think he's worth that. So he's not charging that. And what it seems like after our coaching call, which lasted like a longer than normal one, 90 minutes, he left with a lot of strategy. But the bigger thing is he said, well, I'm going to start doing it, putting up together my one sheet with that fee on there. But I think when I told him a few times and he knows what I'm getting paid as a speaker, he's like, wow, another speaker saying, if I were hiring you for an event, this is what I would think I should be paying you based on your brand. And so my point is, is I don't, I think he thought he was worth hundreds per talk. And I feel like he's coming out of that now. Um, it'll take more, as you said, but I, and we talked about him, um, you know, putting those, uh, those one sheets out to multiple people and seeing what response he gets. And then if he gets a lot of negative, let's work on that again. But if most people are saying, Oh yeah, I can see that. Or that makes sense or what have you, that'll start instilling in his head. He should have probably been charging it all along, but now he knows he can. So I think that validates what you were saying about the person needs to get it internalized. Or otherwise they're not going to be charging that. And that's why they're not getting that fee. And I hope he's on that path now, but yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest challenges. When I started out, I was setting, I, I, right from day one, and it was, I, nobody told me, a lot of the successes that have happened in my life is that ignorance is bliss thing. I didn't know any better, so I just did what made sense to me, and then later people saying, you can't do that. Okay, well, I did. Um, it worked. My, my fir our first, uh, our radio show, when we launched it, I brought on 30 sponsors before we had an episode. And people were like, you can't do that. Okay, well, do you want me to give their money back? I mean, like, <laughs> 
they were happy. I'm happy. And we yeah. had 5,000 listeners on our very first episode. So they, everybody won. But my point is on the speaking side, I didn't know you weren't supposed to charge because I knew Tony Robbins was charging. I knew I wasn't going to charge what he was, but I knew he was charging. So I said, well, if I want to be Tony Robbins, I got to charge. So my first talk ever was for a fitness group and I charged them in three 90 day gym memberships and, and a testimonial. And then the second wow. talk for them was $250 and it went from there. But I think when people say, how, how have you been getting paid for 17 years as a speaker? I think it's because I set a value on my time for even if it was in gym memberships from the very first real talk I ever did. And I just, it was, it was an accident to be honest, Lee, it could have, if people told me over and over, you can't charge at first, I would have went two years not charging and then struggle with how do I start charging? So you always start with charging and then you work your way back. It's something that look, there's some great opportunities out there for, out there for promotional speaking. And I'm a big person in promoting promotional speaking. You know that Corey, Absolutely. some businesses hire me just to show them how to be promotional speakers. And that's great. They just want to go out there. They want to talk and they want to build clientele, whatever it might be. So please understand that what we're saying to you is start with asking, then work your way back. So you always start with asking. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten on a call with an association that you would never think has a budget. And they're like, oh, that doesn't scare me, Galit. And then I just asked for my fee. Now, there's other associations that are like, well, Galit, we don't have a budget to pay. Great, let's talk about some other options. And you know, there's a thousand different options uh, to promote yourself, to sell your books, to um, get the contact information of the attendees. There, but you've got to know your worth and please practice it. Look in the mirror. Say, I charge $5,000. I charge $500. Say it. There's this confidence. You talk about how to get confidence. You've got to first feel it. You've got to first within yourself believe it. And then tell, I remember when I first got started in this business, one of my closest friends, which we're not friends anymore, obviously she wasn't supportive, said, do you think people are going to tart? Do you think people are going to pay you that? for business coaching? I'm like, yeah. And she was just hesitant and she wasn't in the business. She knew nothing about it, but you've got to be cautious of those things and you've got to just keep telling people that over and over. Love it. And, and the reason I kept us in this middle here for a bit is because I think there's a, this is a massive area, the idea of self-worth and what sort of you know, what sort of worth and values even set for everything you do. And now here's the other part. And I mean, you could even say there's an intrinsic value in your time. You talked about personal balance. I mean, like I have a one and a half year old and it's our first child and my girlfriend and I travel a lot. Uh, they come with me sometimes, but when they don't, I have to place a value in that time too. Yeah. You know, I decide what am I willing to help? We even talk about helping people for free. Well, I have to also remind myself if I'm giving away too many things to help people for free, I'm taking away in some ways from my family. Yeah that time because I only have so much time to allocate. Um, one thing I want to touch on as well, something you just said that, you know me, I, I don't like to leave stuff, stones unturned, but you mentioned about the person that was uh, maybe not serving and supporting you in that situation. And I've had that where my very first business, my friends didn't understand why I'd be running a business where I wasn't getting a regular weekly pay. So I couldn't go out drinking and partying with them every week. <laughs> they didn't understand that. And so what I did was I had to, I'll just say limit my time with those friends for a while. But an exercise I take people through is writing down who you spend most of your time with and are they bringing toxic energy or positive energy into your life? 
If it's positive, put a plus sign. Toxic, put a negative sign. And if nothing else, just add it up because consciously you'll see, wow, I'm surrounding myself with 16 negative people and four positive. No wonder why every day it's a struggle. And then, of mm-hmm. course, adjusting accordingly. So I think that's an important thing too, Glead. If you have unsupported people around you, you may not, it might not be a situation where you can remove them from your life forever or completely, but you can no, certainly- No, and that's not where we're asking because a lot of us have- people in our lives that we love dearly and they just have a different perspective and there's a few things that you can do number one you want to recognize and let go like if their comments are what they are you don't have to be affected by them like there's this idea in the communication factor that we're supposed to be affected by everything that's said to us that's not true that's a choice so if somebody says something that i don't agree with I'm a humorous person, so I'll giggle inside. I'll smile. Smiling for me relieves a lot of pressure, relieves a lot of stress. I, I probably does for a lot of people. But if somebody says something, I actually find humor in it now. They'll say, oh, Galit, da 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 whatever it might be. And I'll just kind of laugh inside and go, actually, inside, I'll be saying to myself, oh, I know that's not true. And I know I'm going to overcome that. And so be the positive thought to their negative. If they say something negative, respond in your head to a positive. Most of these people, you're wasting your time if you say it to them. I'm sorry, but you are. A lot of people are not going to change. It's not your job to change everybody. So you want to definitely surround yourself, like Corey said, with people that are going to support you. When I started this journey, people thought I was nuts. I still get told. Sometimes people will say to me, Corey, um, isn't that something you do when you retire? Like, go speak everywhere. And I'm like, uh, no. This is a business. So I actually got that said to me. Isn't this what people do when they retire? I'm like, no, because we live in a society where there's like this almost unwritten expectation that you go to college and go straight to work for somebody, or you go to high school and go straight to work for somebody, and you're not supposed to do these crazy things like speaking and coaching and and inspiring and whatever. And so they don't understand. And please know, anyone that's watching, some of this stuff comes from love. So the people that love you want to protect you from hurt, want to protect you from disappointment. And so one of my experiences was some of the closest people to me were struggling with these things. And I had to learn after time, it was from a place of love. They wanted to protect me. So please don't get rid of everybody that's in your life. I just want you to kind of establish what is protect, what is it they want to protect me with and comfortable, keeping us in this comfortable box is safe nine to five job or a business that's already successful why would you go open another one and start over i started over in my 40s so think about that as well awesome and so galit then if we dive i guess continue diving into the the female entrepreneur say mindset yeah what would you say you know because we hear all these stats that you know 90 percent of businesses fail in the first five to eight or ten years so when it comes to female entrepreneurs, here's a two-part question. One, do you find that that statistic is better, meaning like they, they fail less often? Like do you find female entrepreneurs have uh, some ingredients that help them not struggle as much or, or is, it, is the struggle still the struggle? And then the second thing is, you know, if you're a female entrepreneur right now, as you said, starting over, uh, what are some things you'd want to make sure you do to, and this could be for any entrepreneur, but as a female entrepreneur taking into account the traits they have, what is uh, you know, two or three things you do to lay the groundwork for a successful business? 
So the first question, I don't know, because that is a factual-based question. I'm gonna be really honest with you. I have no idea what the failure rate is for women versus men or entrepreneurs. It's not something that I've researched. So and I didn't know if there was any research on it, so that's why I put you on the it spot. It probably is, there probably is, but I am one of those people that doesn't go to Google and look up research. I prefer coming up with my own because sometimes I feel like it's not the best place to go. It actually makes things tougher for you because you're reading these failure rates and you know I'm a half class full girl, not a half class empty. So the characteristics or the things that I think entrepreneurs should do, and I'll just give you a few quick ones because is I, especially female entrepreneurs, is I think that our first, our, the first thing that we do is we doubt ourselves and we don't believe we can. So we get really excited about something and then something that we don't know how to do or something that was unexpected shows up and we get nervous. So the first thing I can share with you is don't let the determination that you had to start this, don't let that go away, stick with that because fear will show up, self-doubt will show up, people around you questioning you. You've gotta be strong enough within your own confidence. Now, you don't have to do this alone, okay? There is a great group always of women out there that are willing to support you, uplift you, surround you. Please, 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 please find that group. It could be local business women's associations, local women's groups, it could be online groups. It, it's there. Women have this idea that women are cutthroat. Oh, I have to tell you, I have surrounded myself with the most amazing, supportive, uplifting women. We don't compete with each other. We support each other. And find someone that knows more than you, please. Anybody that wants to be successful has to hire people that are more successful than them. I'm sorry. That's the cycle of success. So find someone out there that knows the how. Knows the how. Because a lot of people stop right at the how. Okay, Corey, they're like, I don't know how they stop. Well, the how exists all day long. I always use the example of how do we know how to build bridges that we can drive over that won't fall apart? Because the engineers keep teaching each other, right? So there's someone out there that knows how to build a bridge so the next engineer can build it right. They're out there being professors, they're out there being mentors. Corey's example of the copy guy is not the norm. Find someone that will mentor you. Sometimes it's free, sometimes it costs money, but find someone because that's going to be the success for you. Anybody that's thinking of opening their own business or not, it doesn't matter. It is possible. It takes planning. You don't do it overnight. You don't quit your job and just get excited and live off your credit cards. You've got to have a plan, but it is possible to be your own boss. And I know you've seen that saying, stop building other people's dreams, build your own. Big for me, huge. So two things that popped into my head when you, you mentioned a couple things there. One was about the, um, you know, surround yourself by people that have maybe achieved something that you're, you're trying to achieve but haven't yet. There's this great quote, and I, and I don't know that it's his quote, but I've never heard it in those words phrased by anybody before, so I'll give him credit. But a guy named Tony Gambone, who had a thing called Tough Talk Radio Network, I think he still does, and I was part of a book compilation that he put out years ago. And I loved his quote that he said during our interview. He said, I always live my life like this. If I'm the smartest person in a room, I have to get out of that room quickly. And I love that quote because you know, it's, it's not saying you shouldn't try to give back. What to me it's saying is that you need to always be learning. And, and the reality, Corey, in all honesty, just to add to that is, 
if you have an open mind, and, and one of the chapters in my book is always be open to learning. If you have an open mind, you're even going to learn from some from the smartest from people that are less smart than you. I'm, I'm going to use that because you used it. I don't believe that in that smart less smart stuff. I think that there's no human way that in my lifetime I can learn everything that I want to learn or everything I should learn or everything whatever. I think that there's always people out there that know more than me. It's not about that. It's about having the mind to be open to learning. And sometimes as speakers, I'm sure you could relate to this, Corey. I'll be vulnerable for a second. I'll go hear a speaker. And at first I'll be like, oh God, she's preaching to the choir, right? But then I change my mindset because of course I want to practice what I preach. Be open to learning, Galit. It's a chapter in your book. And the second I change that, I listen intently. And I can always pick up something. Now, it's not always something I'm going to use. Sometimes it's something I'll never want to use. But I'll always learn something. I love that. And what you also did for me is you made me realize I'm going to share that quote now. And I'm going to paraphrase it. Give him credit, but paraphrase it. Because maybe what it, it could be is if I'm the most experienced person in this room. I need yeah, yeah, yeah. I like so, that experience. Successful. It could be the most successful. It could be the most experienced. It could be the one. Whatever. It doesn't matter. That's yeah, up but I, I feel like there's always that space where we can learn from other people. Again, it's not always something we'll use in our business or in our life. One of it might be, oh gosh, I would never do that. And that's okay too, because that's learning as well. Well, and, and I think knowing his personality, I know when he said smartest, he meant like the smartest person in whatever I'm trying to learn. Oh, yeah, but, for sure. but, but we're in a world now where people kind of hyperanalyze every word. Thank so you. Thinking, I'll, 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 I'm so cautious and PC. It's part of my personality because I am one to not easily get offended because I try to think that everything that people say comes from a love, mm -hmm. which not everyone does, but I try. But a lot of people get offended and hurt by things that others say. So if you if someone says a word that doesn't resonate with you well, try to look at it from a different perspective. And I try to always give all the different perspectives as you noticed. Absolutely. Yeah. So one last thing I'll add on and then we'll 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 wind things down. Uh, but something you also said, which I think is important to note, just from my perspective. So I'm gonna speak from in this I, I was raised by a single mother. So I like to think I have kind of a bit of both perspectives because she certainly, people, when they talk about my strongest traits, a lot of them are what people would identify maybe with feminine sort of traits, yeah. if you will. Um, yeah. I'm proud of that. So, but saying that, um, one of the things I think is a misnomer, and there, I think the challenge is there are circumstances, both men and female, or male and female, where people try to tear people down and all. I think that happens on both sides, but I think emails maybe get a bad rap in that area like oh you know you can't trust this person or this you know or we get into these groups and you mentioned it because you mentioned not all you know a lot of people think okay well uh, they're going to be competing against me and maybe talking behind my back but the other side of that and i think it's a weakness and yeah, weakness is a strong word but i think it's an area men could work on and females are strong with which is building these collaborative groups like when i look online like the support behind these collaborative groups like when i look online as a male i'll say like there's not like when I see all these uh, female conferences, I'm like, I wish we had a, a you know men's conference like this, or I wish it, you know the the male and female co conferences could run like the female conferences do. So like there's like this, let's run a conference and female only gyms. Like I, I have friends of mine that go to female only gyms and. The stuff she tells me, I'm like, that's such a more supportive gym than going to the gym where somebody's grunting and throwing the weights around. And so I feel like that's a strength that 
people should capitalize on. And I feel like it's a strength of females where the ones that when it does work, let's support each other, bind together, let's have a support group. Men are scared to have that almost. And or it feels like somehow it's, you're lesser if you have that. But I feel that's a strength that females have. And I'm sure that ties into entrepreneurship. So when it's done right, a female, all female mastermind, it seems like you can go a lot deeper with the support than maybe some men, I'm generalizing, some men are willing to do. So it seems like that could be a, a, a strong, strong trait if you can get out of the side of thinking that people are trying to under, undercut me. I think that it begins and ends with a personality. Doesn't matter if you're female or male, you have a personality that is yours. So there's always gonna be both genders that are not going to be supportive, don't wanna watch succeed, but you and I come from a world that there's enough room for all of us. And that's a big thing also, by the way, entrepreneurs, females especially, don't start their own businesses because they go and they look at the competition. And one of my chapters is called, She Learns from the Competition. And you always want to recognize that the competition is there so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. They already know what works and doesn't work, but they're not there to scare you. So please don't be scared by the competition. So what you're talking about is there are always going to be people from both genders that do not want people in their playing field, do not want to support people. That's not the people we're talking about. We're talking about the ones that are out there that do. And I am telling you from personal experience, anybody watching, there are so many organizations, groups, online, in person, it's there. If you're not around it, find it, please. Private message me, I'll send you a few. I'm research queen. I just want you guys to recognize that if you don't have the kind of people around you that support every crazy idea, every crazy idea, then you're not hanging out with the right people. So Galit, this has been an absolute pleasure, which I knew it would be. And there's never <laughs> enough time. I know, and I'll, I'll call it to be continued because I know we can do a part two on this. Uh, one of the things, my approach is also sometimes my Achilles heel because if you say something that I think the listener would go, we need to, he needs to dive into that more. I don't want to leave the stone unturned, like the self-worth thing. So I'll go <laughs> longer into an area rather than just go question, question, question. But sometimes... Uh, that means that in you know half hour you can never cover enough. So I'll call it with your permission to be continued. But <laughs> before we jump ahead to that, my last official and unofficial question is simply for those listening who dug everything you said and or or even you know maybe they didn't dig everything and they want to chat with you for the honor, whatever that is. Um, the the key question is if they want to learn more though they want to connect further with you, where would you normally direct them to learn more about you? Well, you know, Corey, we live and breathe on our credibility and visibility. So GalitVenturaRosen.com, TheSuccessfulWoman'sMindset.com because of my book, all over LinkedIn. I do LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. That's all I can handle. <laughs> so you can find me anywhere there. Please, yeah, more than happy to connect with you through social media. If you find that you are interested in the mindset piece, the business piece, or the speaking piece, I work with clients privately and in groups just like mentioned. Awesome. Well, like I say, Galit Ventura Rosen, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being so gracious today. And uh, I salute you and I will wave the flag for you wherever I can. And thank you ever so much for making time for us today. Thank you, Corey.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.